While you're uh, turning back to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, I need uh, my ushers, if they would, real quickly, if we get the ushers back there. Last Sunday was our Missions Emphasis Sunday, and uh, we uh, reevaluate our faith promise giving, and I just wanted to pass these out. I'm going to say very little about it, but perhaps uh, you, uh, last week, maybe uh, at the time you didn't get involved in faith promise or didn't increase at all, or maybe you weren't with us last week and God's been dealing with your heart, just go ahead and give these out to everybody. I think we have enough there. And uh, if the Lord would uh, lay on your heart, maybe you're not involved in giving specifically to missions. Now, this is over and above our tithes and uh, giving a a specific weekly amount to missions. You're not involved in that. Uh, Our prayer is that God will stir your heart and get you involved. If you are involved in giving the Faith Promise Missions, uh, Lord, may... uh, Stir your heart about increasing that somewhat. I know God blesses when we give, and God provides for us. The Bible says, give, and it shall be given unto you. And sometimes as we do that, Lord bless us, we're able to increase it. And so I just want to make one more opportunity. We'll not say anything more about it till our missions conference in May, but uh, I want to give one more opportunity, folks, if the uh, if, uh, Lord's dealing with your heart there. If you'll notice on there, let me just explain how this works. a little different than our missions conference card. Uh, if you're not involved in giving to missions, it says, I will begin giving blank dollars per week. That's if you're not giving at all and you're going to begin giving. And then uh, it says, I will increase my weekly giving. And uh, that is uh, just the amount that you're increasing. If you're already giving to missions, Lord lays a figure on your heart to increase it a certain amount a week. Just write the increase down. If you're going from, say, $25 a week you're giving or increase it $5 a week, just write $5 there. Don't don't write down what you're already committed to. All right, I won't say more about it. Just fold that up, put it in the offering plate then when it goes by, and uh, we'll apply that to our missions account. And uh, we just rejoice in what a great day we had last week and how God blessed our missions Sunday last week in a wonderful way. First Thessalonians chapter 2. I just want to zero in on verse number 18. I need to get plugged in here. Verse number 18 and the last part of verse 18. Before we read that, let me just mention, if you have a uh, cell phone or anything like that, this would be a good time just to, while I'm turning this on, you can turn the cell phone off, and uh, that would be a good thing. And we want to keep distractions to a minimum. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, notice verse 18. Wherefore, we would have come again unto you, even I, Paul, once and again, am I on, Matt, Brother Matt? How about now? Am I on now? Well, all right. There we go. How's that? All right. Verse 18. Wherefore, we would have come unto you, even I, Paul, once and again. But notice that last phrase. But Satan hindered us. Satan hindered us. I've entitled the message... Satan's Trenches, and you'll understand the title when we get into the message a little bit, Satan's Trenches. Let's pray together and ask the Lord to uh, speak to our hearts. Father, we thank you, Lord, for uh, the opportunity to assemble together God's people uh, in one building for one reason, to glorify the Lord, to hear from heaven. And I pray that would be true in this hour. Father, we need to hear from you just seems like it's been an awfully long week this past week. Lord, the weather has affected us. Sometimes it affects us spiritually. And Lord, uh, we ask that uh, you just stir our hearts anew. Help us to refocus our eyes on the Lord Jesus Christ. 
I pray that you would give myself and all of us, pray you give us an open heart, an open mind to your word and what your will is for our lives uh, today, the rest of the week, and throughout the rest of our lives. Help us to be responsive as you deal with us and as you apply the scriptures to our hearts. I pray, Holy Spirit, that we would uh, respond in faith and obedience. Lord, I yield myself to you anew this morning. God, with all my heart, I present to you anew my body. And I ask, dear God, that you would, your Holy Spirit would fill me and empower me to preach and that you would speak through me to each of us. Have your way, I ask, in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to ask you to take your pen and underscore in your Bible that last phrase of verse number 18, but Satan hindered us. Satan hindered us. Paul was very anxious to uh, visit the believers in Thessalonica. It's a fairly young church. It was a good church. They were growing. There was a great spirit among God's people. There was a, they had a testimony really throughout the known world, wherever Christ was named, the church at Thessalonica had a testimony of a people of great faith in God, a people who were very active uh, in local soul winning, but also active in world missions. They were sending money for Paul's missionary endeavors and a very, uh, it was really the initiation of faith promise giving very much. And uh, they were very, very active church. So Paul was anxious to go and see them. He wanted to be with them. And I think it's important to notice here, when he says Satan hindered us, he says, verse 18, he says, um, uh, we would have come to you, I, even I, Paul. And then he says, uh, once and again. So Paul didn't get there at this point. Later on, I believe he did. But at this point, he didn't get there. And it's important to understand they, Paul did not get to Thessalonica. It wasn't because of any concern. It wasn't because of a lack of concern on Paul's part. Paul loved these believers. Actually, you read the, his, uh, what God, uh, Paul, uh, the writings, Paul. Let me start this over again. If you read the letters that God used Paul to record, you find that Paul loved God's people. Paul understood the importance of God's people assembling together. The importance of the fellowship of God's people. Let me underscore this. Getting together in a church service, Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, is more than simply the preaching of the Word of God, although that's the primary aspect of it. But there's a lot more involved in that. It's more than just getting together and singing, or in some cases, making a joyful noise to the Lord. It's a whole lot more than that. You and I need the fellowship one of another on a regular and continual basis. No lone rangers are going to make it spiritually. You cannot be out there on your own and just kind of pick and choose and kind of make it, you know, if there's convenient, I'll try and be... No, no, no. If we're going to grow spiritually, we must have the continual and regular assembling together of God's people. Paul understood that. He says, I want to be with you guys. We wanted to get there and he wanted to on a regular basis go around to the churches that he had planted and make sure they were doing well. And he was an active member when he was home at his church there in Antioch. And he was very, very faithful and he understood importance. You see, God tells us in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 25, he says, forsake not the assembling of yourselves together as the manner of some is. 
And then he makes this statement, and so much the more as you see the day approaching. Let me ask you a question. He says, so much the more as you see the day approaching. What day is that that we see approaching? The day of the Lord, the day of the rapture of Christ, the second coming. And so what he's saying here is, and this isn't the message, but what he's saying here is, as we get closer and closer and closer to the time of the coming of the Lord, we should make sure that we do not forsake the assembling of the cells together. You say, oh yeah, the preacher just wants everybody to be there, so it's a big offering or this, that, and the other. Listen, we need the church more than the church needs us. We need one another. We need to fellowship one another. Evil communications, the Bible says, corrupt good manners. And the idea there is, if I'm hanging around the wrong people, I'm going to get wrong behavior. And so I want to be around people that love the Lord. How many folks here, you love the Lord? Say amen. 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 I believe you mean that. If I love the Lord, I want to be around people who love the Lord. I, I don't know about you, but I want my life to please God. I want my life to be lived that when I get before the Lord Jesus Christ, He can say, well done. I want it to count for God. And so therefore, I want to be around the people that have that same mentality. So Paul says, hey, we want it to be with you. Uh, We sought to be there. Even I, Paul, several times, of course, I'm putting it in my own words, we wanted to be with you, but Satan hindered us. Satan hindered us. Again, I think it's important to notice that in this instance, Paul wanted to be at the church at Thessalonica. Boy, he wanted to be there with him. But Satan was hindering him. But I want to stop here and point something out. Not all hindrances are of the devil. Just because I can't accomplish what I'm desiring to accomplish does not necessarily mean it's the devil hindering that. I'd like for you to take your Bibles. Now keep your place here. We're coming back to this. But if you would, turn with me to the book of Acts. And chapter number 16. I want you to notice something here. Very interesting. How many folks here believe it is soul winning is an important part of Christian life? Say amen. Amen. That was awfully weak. Let's try that again. How many folks here believe that soul winning is an important part of the Christian life? Amen. Now, whether you actually practice it or not, but we all believe it's important. It's part of the Christian life. I believe with all my heart that Mountain Lake Independent Baptist Church ought to be a soul-winning church. We ought to be active, aggressively out there trying to find lost people, share the gospel with them, trying to, and, and do all we can to persuade them to trust Christ. We ought to be active and aggressive in getting missionaries out into all the world. We ought to be a soul-conscious, soul-winning church. We ought to be active in that. Now, of course, Paul was a very active soul winner. He was a missionary of sorts, and what he go out in his missionary travels. And notice in chapter 16 of Acts, notice verse number 6. He's on his missionary journey. He says, And when we had gone throughout Phrygia and the region of Galatia, now look at this, and were forbidden of the Holy Ghost to preach the word in Asia. Now, if we stop there and that's all we knew, that would look awfully strange, wouldn't it? Why would the Holy Ghost, why would the Holy Spirit of God forbid us from preaching the gospel to people who are in Asia? Why would the Holy Spirit, so to speak, hinder Paul from preaching the gospel in Asia? Look at the next verse. 
And after they were come to Mysia, okay, they wanted to go to Asia, the Holy Spirit forbid them to do that. So they were come to Mysia, and they essayed to go to Bithynia, but the Spirit, what? Suffered them not. The Spirit hindered them again. And uh, uh, why in the world, here's somebody who's dedicated their life to the Lord Jesus Christ. God has called them to be a missionary church planner, Paul and Silas and his partners. And they're out there active on the field, going from city to city, country to country, preaching the gospel, planting churches. And then all of a sudden, God says, no, I'm not going to let you go to that area. No, I'm not going to suffer you to go to this city. Why in the world would God do that? That is a hindrance. The Bible says very clearly that it was of God. Well, the purpose was, if you study down through there, God stopped them from going this direction because His intention was for them to go this direction. Eventually, the gospel did get to these other areas, but God had a plan, God had a purpose. Now, I'm saying all that to say this. An opportunity, and we've been talking about this. Actually, there's a number of folks we've been talking about opportunities and God's will and all that type of thing. An opportunity, and I hope you'll get this. Are you with me? Are everybody with me here? This is very important. An opportunity to do something for God is not necessarily a call of God to do that. Just because the opportunity is there does not necessarily mean that's what God is calling me to do. Now, I believe if there's an opportunity to do something for God, we ought to take it. Amen? Amen? Amen. If there's an opportunity there, we ought to take it. I try to. I, I, of course, I fail this, but my ideal in my heart and mind is I want to take advantage of every top opportunity I have to have an influence with the gospel. I want to take advantage of every opportunity I have to advance the cause of Christ, to do something for the Lord Jesus Christ. I want to take advantage of every opportunity. But just because the opportunity is there doesn't necessarily mean that's the call of God for me to do that. Uh, we talked about in a... Uh, missions here uh, just a few weeks ago, one of our missionaries with us may have been Matt Goins. I shared with two, two turning points in my life concerning missions. One was at a missions conference when I was in Bible college. I yielded, I went forward, and I begged God I wanted to go to the Philippines, or at least to uh, uh, Asia, that part of the country, uh, part of the world. I begged God to go, and it was as clear as could be. God said, no, I want you to stay here. Now, there was an opportunity there I was willing to go for it. I was stepping into it. But the Lord hindered me. The Lord forbid me. Um, Then when we went to Dominican Republic, as I was pointed out the other Sunday night, that last night, God had stirred my wife and I's heart so deeply. I mean, it affected us deeply. That experience there on that mission field. And that last night, we had a missions conference. We had preached the missions conference. All the missionaries there had come together on the islands and had opportunity to preach to them. And that last night, Kathy and I knelt side by side, weeping. And we said, God, if this is where you want to speak, we told God, our hearts are stirred. And Lord, if this is where you want us to be, we love the church, we love where we're at, we don't want to leave that, but God, if this is where you want us, we want. The opportunity was there, but the Lord suffered us not. A hindrance. Now, we ought to pursue opportunities. As they come up, we ought to step in. If we have that opportunity, boy, go for it. Listen, the church isn't hurting because too many people are going after opportunities. church is hurting because people aren't taking advantage of the opportunities we have. The harvest is great. It's the what? Labors. Those that are taking advantage of the opportunity. That's where the, the scarcity is. But 
an opportunity does not necessarily constitute a call. Now, let me give you some principles, and I'm trying to throw this out here to you. Let me give you some principles to follow to determine whether this opportunity is of God or whether it's not of God. One way to determine it is, does this opportunity I have here, does it violate biblical principles? All right, here's a chance to do something. Looks like I could really do something for God. But is this opportunity going to violate uh, biblical principles? Uh, A number of years ago, it's been several years now, but a number of years ago I got a phone call in the early spring. It was either late winter or early spring. A local fellow is involved in a number of churches, kind of a spiritual leader somewhat, called me up in, in our community. He called me up. And he said, we're having a men's meeting at the county, at the community college. He said, it's not a promise keepers meeting, but it's based on that. We're going to have several, I forget what he said, three, four hundred men there. We would like for you to speak to these men on this thing. And I thought, wow, what an opportunity, right? It's an open door, opportunity. Three hundred men could have an influence, could give the gospel. No doubt many unsaved people maybe could see some people saved. So here's an opportunity, but I need to... Look at principles from Scripture. Are there any scriptural principles being violated? So I began to ask some questions. I said, who all is involved in this? And he said, oh, there's, and I think he said something like 17 different churches of varying denominations in our community are involved in this. I said, what do you mean they're involved? They're coming to it or are they involved? He goes, no, they're on the platform sharing leadership. I said, so, I said, um, and I tried to explain why I was beginning to have problems. And as it boiled down to, and I won't go into the whole conversation with it, but as it boiled down to, there would be unbelievers on the platform, people who believe you have to be baptized to be saved, people who didn't believe the Bible was the inspired, perfect Word of God, a whole array of various theological positions. And I said, I'm sorry, I cannot take that. Though there was an opportunity available to me, the principles of Scripture forbade me. Follow what I'm saying? The opportunity did not constitute the call or will of God for me to step in that because there were scriptural principles who were, uh, who were, uh, that were being violated. And by the way, the Bible's very, very clear. We are not to yoke up with unbelievers. We are not to yoke up with those who have unscriptural teaching or unscriptural practices. Romans chapter 16 tells us we are to mark them. And so I could not do it. And I tried to explain in a gracious way, and uh, he really didn't understand. The more I tried to explain, the more awkward it became. So the first question I want to ask myself, if I have an opportunity here, Paul, he wanted to go to Thessalonica. He loved those people. He understood the importance of Christian fellowship, but Satan hindered him. Sometimes God will hinder us. And sometimes we have opportunities that we cannot take advantage of, not necessarily because Satan's hindering us or because God is saying no, but there's principles involved here that we cannot pursue. One of them is if scriptural, uh, if it violates biblical principles. But there's another time when maybe I have an opportunity to do something for the Lord or an open door there of whatever, and uh, I want to consider whether this is the thing I should do or not, whether I should go through it. One, does it violate scriptural principles? Number two, this is another one. This is one we've been talking about with a couple of different people recently, uh, does it hinder my walk with God? There may not be any scriptural, direct scriptural principles being violated, like uh, cooperation with unbelievers or disobedient believers, it may not be there, but it may hinder my walk with God. Will it interfere with my personal walk? Listen, the most, more important than my ministry, get this, 
More important than my ministry is my personal walk with God. Amen. Amen. Tell you what, you can go out soul winning and be backslidden. Amen. Not having devotions, not in my heart, right? Regarding iniquity in our heart. Now, I don't, I'm, I'm not saying stop soul winning. I'm saying get your, get your walk with God right. But if there's an opportunity to do something and it interferes with my personal devotions, it interferes with my testimony, it interferes with my fellowship with other Christians, it interferes with uh, my, my soul winning ministry, whatever it is, then I need to reconsider. Wait a minute. There may be no direct scriptural principles uh, violated here, but... This isn't helping my walk with God. This is interfering with my walk with the Lord. And so, that's a factor to involve. And then the third factor is, and this is the hardest one maybe for someone else to determine, but I need to ask this question. If here's an opportunity, I must ask this question. Is this part of God's plan for my life? Is this direction, is this the direction that God wants my life to go? Uh, Shortly after I got saved, about a year after I got saved, I was 19... Uh, it was probably the spring that next year when I turned 20. Um, the Lord was dealing my heart. I was pursuing a course of action that uh, there was nothing unscriptural about it, I don't believe. I don't believe it was hurting my walk with God necessarily, not directly. But I knew in my heart that was not the direction that God's plan for my life was to go. And I knew that, and I'd read my Bible, and God would impress in my heart. And the whole time I would be involved in pursuing that, there was, dis, there was a lack of peace ruling in my heart. And I just knew this is not the direction God has me to go. And I struggled with that, and struggled with that, and struggled with that, till finally I just had to say, okay, Lord, I surrender. This is opportunity here, but this is not part of your plan for my life. Your plan for my life goes another direction. And that's where you as an individual have to determine whether that's God's leading there and what to do. And that requires a close walk with God and a sensitivity to the Spirit of God working in your life. So, the subject in in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 18, Paul's wanting to go to the church at Thessalonica. He's wanting to fellowship with them. He's earnestly desiring to go there. But Satan hindered him. Satan hindered. Uh, was blocking him doing that. Now, sometimes God hinders our plans because he, he has other plans. Sometimes opportunities, we have to evaluate them with the thoughts I just gave you here a moment ago. Now, I want to zero in and notice this. But Satan hindered us. Satan hindered us. Number one, I'd like for us to consider the reality of Satan. The reality of Satan. Boy, I hope you'll give me your attention for the next few moments because this is so, so important. The reality of Satan. Mountain Lake Independent Baptist Church, very first statement in our doctrinal statement, the very heart of what we are is based upon the fact that we believe the Bible is God's very word. Every ounce of my being, every molecule in my body, every brain cell in my brain, all five of them, um, believes that this book is God's Word. Absolutely no doubt about it. This is the Word of God. This is the authority for our faith and our practice. This is the authority for what we believe is true and for how we live our lives. This book right here, not the Pope, amen, not the Southern Baptist Convention headquarters in Nashville, Tennessee, Not any other place. The Word of God is our authority. Amen? We believe that. Now, 
if we believe the Bible as we say we do, if we accept the Bible as God's word, then we cannot deny the reality of Satan. We cannot deny the reality of Satan. Now, as scientists, they could debate whether there's a real Satan or not, real devil. They can go back and forth. But if you believe the Bible, you can't deny it. There's no debating it. Uh, philosophers may philosophize and have their debates and their discussions as to the source of evil in the world and the reality and personality. Of they can debate all that. But if we believe the Bible, we must accept as fact the reality of Satan, a very real being. From Genesis chapter 3, verse 1, all the way through the end of Revelation, the Bible presents Satan as a real, personal, powerful, active, and dangerous being. Do you got your Bibles with you? you? have your Bible? I hope you brought them to use them. Turn with me, if you would, to Second Peter. Towards the back of your New Testament, Second Peter. Notice with me chapter 5. I'm sorry, 1 Peter. What is it with 1st and 2nds today? 1 Peter, chapter 5. Notice with me verse number 8. If you got a pen, get your pen out. Are you listening? Get your pen out and uh, mark this verse in your Bible if you would. 1 Peter, chapter 5. Notice with me verse number 8. Be sober. Be vigilant. Why? By the way, that word sober there means use discernment. Uh, you get a, some old good old boy gets drunk and he loses his discernment. Uh, by the way, I don't think he's such a good old boy if he gets drunk, amen? He gets drunk. He loses his discernment. Uh, most crimes are committed when the person's drunk. Uh, most, uh, when they run the cops, you ever see that in the news? They'll run from the cops. Most of the time they're drunk. They lose discernment. To be sober means to think clearly, to be able to discern wisely, to think things through and come to the right conclusion. So he says, listen, when this matter of spiritual warfare, and this matter of dealing with the devil, you better be sober. You better be able to think clearly. You better be able to make right judgment as to what's of God and what's of the devil. Be sober. Then he uses the word vigilant. The word vigilant means to be on guard. It means to be very, very watchful. To be cautious. He says, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 8, Be sober. Be very, very wise. Be discerning. And watch out. You be alert to what's going on. Why? Be sober, be vigilant. Look what he says. Because... Your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour. In other words, God is telling us here, because of the reality of the devil, we must be very, very sober. We must be very vigilant because he is a dangerous, dangerous being. He is a powerful, powerful being. He is active. He's walking about. He is active in your life. He is active in our community. He is active in our world. He is walking around looking for lies to destroy. He's looking for marriages to destroy. He's looking for testimonies to destroy. He's looking for young people to grow up and defile their hearts and minds and destroy their way of thinking and, def and, and keep them from 
from ever being productive for God. The devil is real. He is active. He is powerful. And we must be wise about this. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8 tells us that we have a very real enemy. And if we ignore the devil, we do it to our own peril. If we mock the idea of, the devil, of a devil, if we think that's funny or somehow think it's cool, we do it to our own destruction, our own peril. If we ignore it, if we allow Hollywood just to entertain the idea, Hollywood loves to make funny movies about the devil and stuff like that, and if we think that that is just some kind of joke, that that is just some kind of entertainment, something to make me laugh, something to entertain me a little bit, brother, if we don't take the reality of Satan for uh, seriously, we do so at our own peril. And we don't have to look far to see what the devil has done in lives and homes. The reality, Paul said, Satan hindered us. A very real being, a very active being, a very powerful being. And if we as Christians in the year 2007, going into the year 2008, if we do not take this seriously, we'll be destroyed. I tell you, my heart sometimes is just so broke over how the devil has hurt young people who are dear to me. And dear to us. And God, and not just young people, people in their 20s and 30s, whose Jeffs has them so blinded to the, to the importance of some basic things in the Christian life and just becomes a joke and just becomes something we tolerate when in reality we see them devouring them. The reality of the devil. The Bible says in Psalms, the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. I want to suggest to you, and I'm not trying to add anything to the Scripture, but I think equally true, the fool hath said in his heart, there is no devil. I think it's just as foolish, just as foolish to deny or ignore the reality of our enemy, Satan, as it is to deny or ignore the reality of God. So, first thing I want us to consider is the reality of Satan. Paul said in 1 Thessalonians 5.18, Wherefore we would have come unto you, even I, Paul, once and again. We tried again and again. We wanted to be there, but Satan hindered us. Second thing for I'd like for us to consider is the resistance of Satan. The resistance of Satan. Satan hindered us. Now, I think it's interesting. You know, you can learn almost as much from what the Bible doesn't say as by what it does say. Are you with me? Everybody with me here? All right. If you're glad you came to church, say amen. amen. person next to you sleeps, give him an elbow. I was waiting for Omis. You can learn from the Bible sometimes almost as much by what it doesn't say as by what it does say. I think it's interesting to notice here. Paul doesn't say that Satan hindered them from becoming rich. Do you notice that? 
wasn't, oh yeah, we wanted to have lots of money, we wanted to have riches, uh, we wanted to be very, very wealthy, but Satan hindered us. I'm telling you, these TV preachers, some of these, uh, these very charismatic, please don't get upset with me, some of these charismatic people saying that God wants you to be rich, it's the devil hindering you from because you don't have all this money, it's a lack of faith, it's the devil this, the devil that. Listen, it wasn't riches that they were pursuing that the devil was hindering fr- them from. fact that Paul said, because of Christ, we've suffered the loss of all things. In fact, sometimes, uh, I think many times, you have folks who love the Lord dearly, have great faith in God, and because of that, they give sacrificially to the Lord, and they cannot drive the car maybe they could drive if they didn't, weren't so committed to the Lord. They cannot live in the house they could perhaps have lived in if they hadn't been so committed to the Lord. Listen, it wasn't riches, wasn't their pursuit. And by the way, that's a good message for Christians in America today. It wasn't riches that Satan was hindering them from. Um, It wasn't pleasure or popularity that Satan was hindering them from. But Satan was hindering them from advancing the gospel. Satan was hindering them from advancing in their godliness and holiness in their lives. Satan will hinder us from humility. Anyone who has ever taken a step forward for the Lord will find that Satan will hinder them. person wants to step forward. They say, I want to be a better Christian in the year 2008. I want to have a closer walk with God in the year 2008. I want to be more effective in my life and in in influencing people for the gospel in the year 2008. You take a step forward, I'm here to tell you Satan will hinder every single step. Satan will hinder it. Anyone who's ever taken a step forward for the Lord, Satan will hinder. By the way, regardless of their spiritual caliber, a person may have got saved last week and decides, I want to take a step forward for the Lord, Satan will hinder that new believer. Amen? Amen. Satan will fight it. Uh, maybe a person's been saved for years. Faithful to the church for years, active, has good testimony, good witness for the Lord. Uh, uh, people respect that person because of their walk with God over the years. You know, Satan will hinder that person just as much as the new believer. What I'm trying to say is this. Paul had been saved and active for many, many years at this point. Satan was still fighting him. And you and I will never reach a point in our Christian life when we do not face opposition from the devil. We never get to the point where we can coast spiritually. We never get to the point where we can lay down our sword, so to speak, We can set our shield aside and say, I've fought the fight. I've finished my course. I'm just going to relax. I'm just going to kick back and take it easy. In the golden years of my life, wait a minute, the devil come in and destroy you like that. Doesn't matter how strong a Christian you've been. Doesn't matter how long you may have known the Lord or how much Bible verses you know, Satan will hinder even the greatest of Christians. Now, that word hinder is an interesting word. And this is where I get the title from. Are you with me? Everybody glad you're saved? Amen. Amen. All right, smile. Everybody go like this. Put it down here. Go like this. There you go. You can smile while you preach against the devil. Amen. Amen. I think this is better preaching than your amen, to be honest with you. (laughs) I forget what I was talking about now. Hinder. This is where I got the title of the message. You know what the word hinder means? I thought this was interesting. Uh, if you've got a Strong's Concordance, go home and look this up. It means 
to dig trenches in front of. It's a military term. You have an advancing army, and what they would do, apparently, I didn't know this, but they would dig trenches in front to impede the progress of that army. They would dig these big trenches, and it would slow them down. Maybe they'd fill them with water. It was something, anything, to obstruct progress. Primarily, the word itself means literally to dig trenches in front of. Deep trenches. Satan will seek to put anything he can, dig trenches between you and I and where God wants us to be. He will do everything he can as we're progressing in our Christian life. How many folks here can remember back to the day you trusted Christ? You remember back there that day? For some of us, it's been a long time ago. Others, it's not been so long. But as we've been growing, Satan will put at every step of the way, he'll dig a trench in front and try and keep us from going forward. He's always done this. You get back in your Old Testament and start reading through your Old Testament. And I highly recommend, we're not too far away from it now, on January 1st, 2008, I highly recommend you make a goal to read your Bible through in the year 2008. You can do it. And it would be a blessing to you. But you go back to the Old Testament and you find every one of God's great men Satan dug trenches in front of him to try and hinder him. And uh, it would take all day to go through all of them. Let me just point out Abraham, the father of the faithful, the father of God's people, the nation of Israel. God called him out of Ur to, uh, called him to go to a place where he didn't know where they were going. You imagine Abraham coming to Sarah. Sarah, pack it up. Says, all right, where are we heading? I don't know. Uh, do we know what direction we're going? Yeah, we're going west, young lady, you're going west. And God calls him into promised land. God says, I'll tell you when you get there, just keep on traveling. I, I would say, I don't know about you, but that takes a great amount of faith. Amen? Amen? I mean, imagine if your husband showed up tonight, ladies, after church. He's on the altar praying a long time. You're there saying, what's he praying about so much? He comes back, we get home, says, sweetheart, God's called us to go somewhere. Oh, wow, exciting. Where are we going? I don't know. Uh, pack up, we're leaving Tuesday. What? Go to the rental car, the U-Haul rental. I need a rental U-Haul. All right, where to? I don't know yet. You know, anyway. Um, can you imagine that? Abraham steps out by faith and uh, packs up. His family goes and he follows the Lord. Hey, that's going forward. Amen. That's an act of faith. God lays on his heart. He obeys the Lord. He trusts God, obeys him, not knowing where God's going to lead him. What a step forward. But Satan throws a trench, digs a trench. He finally gets to the promised land. And guess what they find there? A famine. God said, I'm going to provide for you. God said, I'm going to uh, give you all kinds of wonderful things. It's going to be a land of flow and milk and honey. It's going to be a wonderful place. He shows up and it's a famine. Now he can trust God and believe God's word over top of what things appeared to be, or he can take things in his own hands. And Satan digs a trench of doubt. And Abraham falls in it, and he says, let's go down to Egypt, Sarah. This is where God called us to, but it ain't the way he said it would be. We're going down to Egypt. What happened in Egypt? In Egypt, he lied about his wife, said she was his sister. She was his half-sister, so it was a half-lie. Down there, right? That's pretty good. I didn't even think of that, though. 
hey, I'll take whatever you guys laugh at, you know, I'll just take it. What ha- what they, while they're in Egypt, finally gets things right with God, comes back, but they brought something back with him. Hagar. Remember what happened to Hagar? You know what that was? It's a trench. Abraham stumbled. He ends up going back down to Egypt again later on. And we could go through the Bible and we could talk about Moses. How God, how Satan used the trench of his temper to hinder the work. And, and we could talk about David and we could talk about Elijah, the trench of discouragement. And over and over and over, all through the scriptures, you find Satan digging trenches to put in front of God's people when they step out in faith and try and do something for God. Not just in the Bible, but you could go through the history of the church and the testimony of the church through the ages could be this. Satan have hindered us. We think about in the middle, the dark ages, which I'm going to be very frank with you, the dark ages was a result, I believe, of studying history, I believe because of the reign of the Catholic church over the world during that period of time. I don't think there's any doubt about that. And so the church was growing, the church has gone forward, and Satan throws the tr- digs the trench of phony church ritualism and a, a false hierarchy in the church. And all through the years, the church can say, Satan has hindered us. Satan will hinder a lost man from trusting Christ as Savior. I'm curious, I won't ask you to raise your hand. But I believe, no doubt, there's many of us could stand up and testify that when we got saved, we could sense a spiritual warfare going on about our soul. I know it was true for me. It's an unsaved, just barely turned 19-year-old, and they're begging God to have mercy. There was a spiritual warfare going on in that, up, that attic bedroom that I knew was real. Satan was seeking to hinder And Satan will dig trenches. He'll seek to hinder a lost person. If you're here this morning and you've never trusted Jesus Christ as Savior, Satan will dig every trench he possibly can. He'll throw every obstacle up he possibly can. He'll put every argument and every reason in your mind not to trust Christ. But I'm here to tell you, Satan is a liar. He is out to destroy your soul. He will do all he can to keep a lost man lost so he dies and ends up in the devil's hell devil dig trenches before a, a lost man to keep him from coming to Christ. Uh, the devil will keep a new, be, a new believer from following the Lord in baptism. I was studying this this week, and I, I've never really thought of it exactly this way, but I got thinking, what is the most important step for a new believer? A person gets saved. What is the next thing, the most important thing a new believer should do? So I went to the Scriptures. I said, all right, in the Bible. person got saved. What is the first, most important thing they did? And it's what? Got baptized. I have a little different view to it. I always knew baptism was important. I always uh, said that. You ought to get baptized. But as I studied Scriptures, I realized that is the most important step for a new believer to take. Once they've been saved, the most important thing is follow the Lord in baptism. Now, if you can show me from the book of Acts or Scripture something different than that, I'll change that. But I believe that's true. Baptism. And Satan will do everything he can to keep a person young or old from following the Lord in baptism. He'll dig every trench. He'll find every excuse, every reason in the world. Uh, Satan will put trenches in front of a Christian from being a part of a faithful, uh, from being faithful to church. Satan will come up every reason in the world why we uh, not be faithful. Not, 
uh, 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 not read our Bibles, not pray. The basics of the Christian life. Brother, he'll put trenches there and keep us. How many folks here? Let's, let's just be honest. we got a small crowd this morning. Let's just be honest. I won't tell anybody if you don't. How many folks here uh, ever struggle just with keeping that daily Bible reading going? You say, man, that's a battle. That's something i got to... <laughs> Look at that. we got a lot of honest people here this morning. Praise the Lord. How about this matter of daily prayer? I mean, focused, diligent prayer on a regular basis. How do people say, man, that's a, that's a battle for me, preachers? Sure it is. And the devil puts every trench. Listen, if it's so hard and the devil fights it so much, you know what that tells me? It must be pretty important. It must be vital to my Christian growth and my life as a believer. This must be important or the devil won't fight it so much. The devil will dig trenches uh, in front and put and hinder the gospel from going into all the world. Uh, the devil will uh, uh, seek to hinder the Christian from dedicating his or her life to the Lord Jesus Christ. The devil will seek to keep that one person that God is calling to go to the mission field. Brother, he'll put trenches in front of that all, every bit he can. Maybe a young man, God's dealing with their heart about the preaching ministry and call to preach. And brother, the devil will put every trench he can in front of that. The reality of the Satan and the resistance of Satan. I believe most of his effort is to keep a lost man lost. That's where, the, that's where most of Satan's effort goes. But once that person gets saved, brother, he starts backhoeing. He gets his demonic backhoes out. He starts digging trenches. Keep them from growing. Amen? Let me give you a third thought real quick, and I am with this. I want us to consider the resourcefulness of Satan. The resourcefulness of Satan. I really don't have time to dwell on this. But he'll try to hinder us. He'll try to hinder a person from getting saved or a Christian from growing and going on for God in two ways. First of all, he'll seek to hinder them. I put it this way, internally. Internally. By that I mean he will seek to get that person to think unscripturally. For instance, here you have an unsaved Say, for sake of illustration, we have an unsaved lady. She's a young lady. She's unsaved, never trusted Christ. She dies in that condition. She'll go where? Hell. Bible's clear. So here's an unsaved young lady. She dies like that. She'll find herself in hell, the lake of fire for all eternity. Somebody is faithful to the Lord and starts witnessing to her. They give her gospel tracts. They talk to her about trusting Christ. They go through the gospel. Satan starts digging his trenches. One of the ways he does that is to get her to think unscripturally. And she'll start thinking like this. Ah, that's just their opinion. Ah, this heaven and hell, that's, that's not real. That's just a fairy tale. Nobody believes that anymore. Uh, uh, I heard that preacher at the liberal church, and he said that hell's just a myth. And he'll get their thinking out of whack. Follow what I'm saying? Uh, take your Bibles real quickly, and I really don't have time for this. Turn to, second, turn to Colossians. It's not too far away. Go over here. Look at this. Colossians chapter 2, page 1263. Down the bottom right-hand corner, verse 8. Colossians 2, verse 8. Look what it says. And, and I'm winding down here. Beware! Brother, that's important word, huh? Beware! Lest any man spoil you through what? 
philosophy. Well, I just think this. I just, hey, when it comes to heaven and hell, when it comes to salvation, it is not what you and I think, it's what God says. Beware of explaining the Word of God away. And beware of thinking unscriptural. Look at this. Beware lest any man spoil you. That means destroy, ruin. Spoil you through philosophy and vain what? Deceit. The devil is a liar and the father of it. And I'll tell you what. There's a lot of people on their way to hell that refuse to accept what God says about it. And their thinking is unscriptural. The devil has got... Uh, uh, Corinthians puts it this way. He's blinded the minds of those that believe not, lest they should see the glorious gospel and be saved. He gets them to think unscripturally. And he can keep them lost. Uh, internally, he'll put trenches up internally. Uh, but get us to think unscripturally. Another way internally that he tries to keep uh, uh, to uh, hinder us, to put trenches up, is maybe once we're saved, he'll get us to allow sin in our heart and life. You know what one of the most important factors of Christian growth and Christian victory is? Prayer. If I can't get a hold of God, I'm not going to grow, I'm not going to have victory. Prayer. You know what Psalm 66 verse 18 says? If I regard iniquity in my heart the lord will not hear me and if i don't have god's ear i am a sitting duck for the devil amen if i'm not on praying ground brother i am in bad shape he'll get us to allow sin in our heart it is impossible to tolerate sin in my life and progress spiritually. So the devil will seek to hinder us internally, but he will also seek to hinder us externally. Maybe through ungodly people. I remember when I, got, when I was under conviction, from January 1st, 1979, to May 7th, 1979, those five months and six days, seven days, I was under such conviction. And I was looking for some of my friends, just one of them, that I could talk to them about what God, what was going on in my heart and life. But I wanted to be careful about it. I don't want to think I'm, think I'm nuts or something. So we'd be out different places doing all kinds of ungodly things. And I look and it looked like maybe he'd... And I just kind of opened the door and I just talked maybe about spiritual things. And brother, it was a joke. And I'd back off. And I couldn't find one of my friends that I could talk to them about the conviction and what was going on inside my heart and soul. Every time I did, it became a joke. It became a laughing matter. And to me, that was an external trench that God, that Satan was using my ungodly friends to keep me from coming to Christ. After I got saved, I, I started to grow. God was leading me. I wanted to go to a Bible college and brother, I was going to go down to Tennessee, and uh, the two men, the one of them in particular, I should say, that discipled me for a year after I got saved, and I thank God for those two men. They helped me so much. One the pastor, two men in the church, took me under wing and discipled me for a year. But when God was leading me go to a good, strong, uh, fundamental Baptist college, he, spent, he came over to my house about a month before I left, stayed till 1.30 in the morning trying to talk me out of what I knew was God's will. 
He said, That's, uh, they're extremists. They're fundamentalists. They're this, they're that. He says, you don't want to get caught up in that. I said, but the Bible teaches we're just taking them. I know that, but Satan will use ungodly people. He will use unspiritual, unscriptural people to try and keep us grow and go forward. We came here. God was blessing and souls were getting saved. Some of you that were here remember, we were bringing in people in cars. And people got saved, different families, and didn't have license. And we'd bring them in. We were three or four people bringing people in cars, and we'd make two, three trips. We finally bought a bus, and we started running the bus. I was at a preacher's fellowship, and we were talking, and one of the, and I asked, one of the guys they asked the preacher, asked what was going on. I said, oh, we just got a bus. I said, I'm excited. We're starting a bus ministry. And he shook his head. He goes, you're never going to, you're never going to build that church by running buses and reaching bus people. I said, what are you talking about? He goes, you can't do that. You've got to get the wealthy people. You've got to get the money people. Don't worry about those buses. Brother, that was just, to me, that was a trench Satan was trying to dig in front of us to keep us from reaching people. We're not after rich people. We're not after poor people. We're after lost people, whether they're rich or poor. And so what I'm trying to say is this. Satan is very resourceful. He can use church folk to dig trenches to keep people from growing. He'll use ungodly friends and ungodly co-workers to keep us to go forward for Christ. He'll use ungodly, unscriptural preachers to keep us from going forward. He's very resourceful. Satan is a powerful being. There's no doubt about it. But 1 John 4, 4 says, Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Yes, Satan is a great being, but God is greater. Yes, Satan is a powerful being, but God is more powerful. And our God, through faith in Him, can span those trenches. We can build bridges of faith, and the devil can oppose us, and the devil can seek to hinder us. But if we'll trust God and go forward by faith, we'll find that God will build a bridge across every trench that the devil digs in front of us. I think about Apostle Paul. He said he had a thorn in the flesh. And he says in, is it 2 Corinthians 12? My first and seconds are messed up today. I think it's 2 Corinthians 12. He says, there's a thorn in my flesh, and he calls it this, a messenger of Satan sent to buffet me. You know what the idea there is? Is whatever this physical malady was, apparently it was very painful, it was obviously physical, he says, a thorn in my flesh. So it was a painful physical malady that he had. And he says, Satan, that became a trench of Satan, a hindrance of Satan to buffet me, to keep me going forward, to keep me at being victorious in my Christian life. It was a hindrance of the devil. And he says, I besought the Lord three times that he would remove that. What did God say? God says, my strength is made perfect in weakness. My grace is sufficient. And thank God that tells me that whatever Satan does to hinder my Christian grace, God can take that very trench and build it and use it as a stepping stone to go forward for the Lord. And Paul's very sickness, that thorn, whatever it was, became an instrument of God's grace and God's strength to be seen when Paul was weak. Does that make sense? How many people recognize the name Rommel? Rommel. Uh, Rome, or German... 
what was he a general's general in the German army World War II. Rommel was a very famous. He was in northern Africa, World War II. And he was very successful initially. And I was reading this past week, a little history book I was reading, and they were saying in there how that Rommel became almost a legend among the American troops and almost became the superstitious proportions where this guy was almost supernatural. And the troops became so scared of him that even the thought of going to war against Rommel uh, made our troops fearful. And one of our officers, I don't know what level he was, but he put out a directive. He says, drill into our soldiers' minds the fact that Rommel is just a man. He is nothing bigger than what he really is, and he can be defeated. I thought of that, I thought about Satan. Listen, Satan is powerful. There's no doubt about it. He's a roaring lion. If we ignore him, we do so to our peril. If we mock him, if we think we can play with him, we do so to our peril. But our God is still greater. And we can still have victory. And we can get past his hindrances. And we can go on for God. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I pray you'd help us, Lord. Give us wisdom.